Hello and welcome to another episode of Bullet Points, the podcast all about shooting games. My name is Ed Smith. I'm joined as ever by Reed McCarter. Shooting games. This is the podcast where we take out guns and we shoot at copies of video games. Well, they all deserve it. I'm joined also by Patrick Lindsay. I actually really like that idea. I think this is the second time that that's come up. I think we yeah. need to make this happen. Yeah, that's going to be our, our uh, corporate bonding. Um, when we get our bailout money, uh, we're going to go meet up at our our aircraft our aircraft carrier in the mid-Atlantic and shoot at copies of video games. What's the first game that you would like to put against the wall, and with what gun would you like to shoot it? <laughs> I need a second. Patrick? I mean, I can think of one game that I'd really like to make my bitch. Hey, hey, oh. that, that's hey, good. We'll get to we'll get to that in a second, but uh, eagle-eared listeners will have cottoned on already what this episode is about. Um, I think I would like to get Grand Theft Auto Five and with like um, an M two four nine saw gun. You know those those kind of big barrel chamber ones. The big old machine guns. Big old machine gun that fires something like you know a hundred rounds per fucking second or something mental and just. Just shoot until it's not there anymore, you know? What if you got every um, existing copy of, of Battlefield Hardline and you sort of set up like a skeet shooting system? Mm-hmm. So it went pull and then it, it went out the disc, you know, PS4 disc maybe. And then, oh. you, you, you know, you had a, a shotgun. And so instead of clay pigeons, you got, you got your discs. Well, I think the, that would pro- be fun. The problem there is I... I go clay pigeon shooting occasionally, and what happens sometimes? How when you English do, of you? How how English of me? Yeah. No, English would be if it were pheasants that you're shooting. I I have not I've not shot pheasants. I've shot a pigeon. When I was a kid, I was made to shoot a pigeon to sort of test my prove my metal. Were like were you being punished for something? No, I wasn't being punished. No, it's just it's what my father <laughs> expected, <laughs> and we we were in a field with a gun. And there was a pigeon, and I I shot it. Um, that's, and, that sucks. And didn't feel didn't feel great about it. But the problem with clay pigeon shooting, of course, is that sometimes you miss, and I wouldn't want to miss a copy of Battlefield Hardline. If if it flew past me and I didn't hit it, I would walk over to it like Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven and sort of execute it on the ground. Okay. Well, what about then with uh, revise that to? I don't know, Battlefield Hardline. With That's what we were just talking about. No, no, Battlefield Hardline, like in a, a television uh, on its back displaying, you know, Battlefield Hardline being played. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And then just sort of like Dirty Harry, um, you know, walk up to it with a revolver mm. and, and just sort of put it down. Yeah, that's, that's more my speed. That's the kind of shooting games that I would like to do. Because, um, yeah, if, if Clint Eastwood is going to clean up the streets then we'll have to clean up the streets of, of video games. The, the, ga- the gaming streets. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, as Patrick hinted at by using the word bitch, as I'm sure will come up several times in this episode, it's going to be a kind of a, a bitch-heavy podcast. Because it's going are... to be a lot for you to suck down. There's going to be, we're going to be sucking bitches down left, right, and center on this episode because we are talking about the I don't infamous. Like this. Don't you like the, the the constant references to sucking and and 
bitching no, and stuff. Just casual well, misogyny the, all over the place. But it's in the game. I mean, this is it is ugly, but that's something that we're going to have to get into because we're talking about Dai Katana, the the infamous um, commercial and and sort of semi-critical flop from 2000 by Ion Storm in uh, Dallas, uh, famously. The creative lead on the game was John Romero, who had obviously previously worked on Doom, but by this point had split away from id Software and um, started up Ironstorm in Dallas. <clears throat> and this was his and Ironstorm's first project, and fatefully its last. Uh, no, that's I, not true. Well, not Ironstorm, but Ironstorm Dallas. Gotcha, it, gotcha. Yeah, yeah lots yeah. of bad things. Lots of bad lots things happen in Dallas. You know? Lots of bad things do happen in Dallas. That is that is right. And um, the reason that we repeatedly mention the the bitch word and the suck word is because Daikatana is famous. I'm sure you will know this if you're listening to this episode. Daikatana is famous for a poster campaign that preceded its launch uh, that simply said, "John Romero is about to make you his bitch. Suck it down." Because uh, game developers, when they get famous, can't handle it. Uh, so <laughs> we are going to be talking about Dai Katana. We've all been playing it. It's 17 years old now. It came out on the PC and the Nintendo 64, um, and it was the, in little semi- known fact. Little known fact. Very quickly, there's a freaking Game Boy Color version of Dai Katana. There is, which was which was more lovingly received than the other versions, as I. Uh, understand it. The the Game Boy Color version got higher praise than the N64 version. Um, yes, and it released uh, around the same sort of period as games like Quake, No One Lives Forever, um, and I also can see influences from things like Metal Gear Solid in there as well, but we'll get into that later. We'll go for the general question to begin with. I'll start with Patrick. Patrick, your overall impressions, please, of Dai Katana. Um, I mean, it's really hard to talk about this game capital C critically because its reputation really precedes it um it's I mean Daikatana is not so much a piece of shooter history as much as it is a running gag in the video game world it's kind of the butt of its own joke um and so I I think all of us going into this game had a lot of preconceived notions to sort of wade through um that said it's not a good game it's not uh you know egregiously cancer-causing like the rest of the world would have you believe. Um, I don't think it's the worst game I've ever played. Far from it, actually. In fact, we've talked about games on this show that I think are way worse than Daikatana. Um, in general, it's it's really just a lackluster, kind of bland, boring shooter from the early 2000s slash late 90s. I mean, that's that's kind of it. It's a little anticlimactic. But yeah, that's pretty much all it is. I think it's worth mentioning as well, just quickly, uh, um, uh, before I throw to read a, a potted history of how the game was made. So, uh, after the development of Doom, John Romero left and formed Ironstorm, as I mentioned. John Carmack remained at id and started working on Quake. And uh, as was charted in the David Kushner book, Masters of Doom, the two were in a kind of semi like pseudo competition with each yeah, other. Yeah, the the, um, the split was not an amicable one. It was not an amicable one and and the the Quake games and Quake 2 uh, were being developed at id uh, whilst Daikatana was being built at Ironstorm and Daikatana was originally announced in 1997 um, but because of Ironstorm and John Romero's desire to try to keep up with Quake 
Uh, a lot of the game was thrown out and rebuilt in the Quake 2 engine uh, in 1998-99. So the game actually took three years. It was delayed several times. It went gratuitously over budget uh, and then was released to a, a very lukewarm reception uh, whilst Quake and id uh, continued going and, and did quite well. <laughs> I, love um, the, I was just going to say, I love the idea that it was rebuilt in the Quake 2 engine. Like, the best way to one-up your competition is to wear their clothes. <laughs> Directly emulate them, yeah. Who wore it better? Quake. Yeah, Quake I mean, that goes without saying. But mm. I was um, being facetious, Reed. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Sorry. With that in mind, then, Reed, your general impressions. Um, well, I, I think Patrick got it right about saying that you as hard as you try and I try to with older games especially that you kind of have all this received knowledge about that you know say Half-Life 2 is, is the best game ever and it's we've already categorically determined that <laughs> you know and you, you go into these things and, and um, I, I think it's best to go in with your own tastes and your own preferences and see what happens and if it's good it's good if it's bad it's bad regardless of you know what the prevailing wisdom is, um, and uh, so I don't know. I tried to give Daikatana benefit of the doubt, and it's uh, yeah, it's kind of a stinker. I um, I take take playing the games for this podcast relatively seriously because I want to you know want to do it right. Want to actually know these games, and this is by far the least I've played of a, a game we've talked about. Um, and not because I wasn't trying to keep playing it, but it was just so... I think I was talking to Ed about this before, and he said it was like kind of just, just like slapping my forehead over and over. Like, it didn't... It, it wasn't painful, but it was just sort of like this low hum of annoyance that eventually would be too much, and I'd have to turn the fucking thing off, because it was just... I don't know. Just everything looks the same, and it's just nothing is exciting or interesting. The guns feel like garbage to shoot, the enemies are, you know, these sewer swamp creatures and robot frogs, and I don't know, the whole thing is just, oh, this is meandering and it means nothing, I'm just saying I don't like that game, I didn't, I didn't like it very much. I was quite enjoying it, and I say that not to, you know, be devil's advocate or to be contrarian, I was quite enjoying playing it. I played it for a number of hours, and I think I will play it some more even after we've done this episode. Um, I certainly can understand why, when it launched, it had such a vicious reception. I think that one of the things that is most pervasive in Daikatana is this arrogance and hubris and uh, sense of imperviousness because it's not just that poster campaign that I mentioned earlier on um, again referencing Masters of Doom was famously not John Romero or Einstorm's idea it was by a, a, an outside advertisement agency and uh, John Romero himself has since gone on record and said he, he didn't like it at the time he reluctantly approved it and you know has since regretted and uh, apologised for it but the game itself has this tone of like, jocularity and swagger that is so unbecoming and really petulant and childish and just sort of um, insulting. You know, when you quit back to the main menu, the game kind of goes, are you broken? 
yes or no and if you pick up a medikit it says you needed the health kit you know like it's kind of telling you off and when you die it says you failed at life and I don't I I know that shooters perhaps some time ago were more boisterous and more sort of um, scrummy than they are now but I don't think you know based on the reception to Daikatana I don't think people were receptive to this sort of stuff even back then um it is, yeah, it's very, very edgelord. It, it is. It's it's really kind of boastful about something which is actually quite a kind of moderate achievement. Um, I know that you know, for example, not to keep dropping his name, but you know, John Romero. Yeah, you you know, you co-made Doom. You co-made a, a terrific, terrific, you know, like defining video game. Fantastic, mm-hmm. but that doesn't give you know your next game, Daikatana, and the, the company that's making it the right to sort of ignore all, you know, humility and and just sort of general uh, decorum, I guess. You know, the, the, the arrogance throughout Daikatana really puts me off it, which is a shame because I actually think it's an okay game. It is a bit bland. I think it's quite ugly. Um, but there wasn't any point. And, and, and also, the level design is obscure and sometimes incohesive in the way that games of that period often are. But... I had that experience with No One Lives Forever. I've had that experience with a game like Blood, which we talked about on this show. And mm-hmm. you get around it because it's a, it's a it's an idiosyncrasy of the time. You know, level design was a different discipline back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't find Daikatana sort of on its you know outside of its history and outside of its sort of personality. I don't find it that egregious. But the hubris and the the tone of it and the the arrogance and the the cockiness what put me off it and that's even now you know that's 17 years on god mm-hmm. knows how people felt when they were in the the midst of this stuff and it was actually going on i can understand why they wanted to sort of slap it down and say you know just wind your neck in a little bit um i, w- <clears throat> I will say though about um you know i, I agree with you that a, a lot of shooters from this time you know blood i think is a good example um have this kind of level design where we've talked about it before where it's it's sort of part of the challenge is is just navigating right trying to figure Think, out where figuring to go. out where to go yeah yeah and lots of throwing switches and and so forth but um this you know the uh the sub levels i guess there are three or four in the in the first chapter and then so forth in the next were uh inscrutable and i don't know if it's it's sort of the game's color palette in the beginning is mm-hmm. I think a, a really poor decision. Um, it, it was inscrutable in a way that I haven't really encountered in in some of these. Um, and also, I, I eventually bumped it down to easy just because I wanted to keep seeing more of it for this podcast. Um, but uh, difficult in in a really bizarre way too. Uh, it is it is very hard, yeah. And for yeah. a second, I thought that was kind of good. <laughs> it was almost like I thought maybe for a hot second there I was going to come into this and be like, you know, Daikatana is like Dark Souls <laughs> because I had to learn where all these frogs were going to, these fucking robot frogs were going to start jumping out from and, you know, the dragonfly things were going to start coming from because you do kind of learn the enemy placement and how to deal with them because they come from the same areas all the time. Um, but I don't know, I, I think there's a. a Unexpected messiness to at, at least the the first couple hours of that game. That well, it's a very, it's a very kind of 
loose bag of things, you know. I, I can remember reading about it today, and well, obviously I can remember reading about it today. It was today, uh, <laughs> but it's it's got um, like the original design document had something like thirty or so weapons, seventy different types of enemies. It takes place over four different time periods. You know, you've got sidekick characters who you can command or whatever. It's it is it's such a uh, it's you know, very I'm, ambitious. I'm, well, I think ambitious is a very, very polite word for it. I, I think it's overall. I think it's, uh, again, like cockies. You know, we're going to build something that's unfathomably large. No one's ever made a game of this sort before. And one thing I'll say on talking about what Reed, what you were saying about the levels being inscrutable. This is a, a detail. This is getting into sort of nitty-gritty stuff. But did anyone notice that the switches to open doors are kind of different every time. There's no, like, consistency in terms of you know what a yeah. switch looks like. I didn't. However, I have an opinion on that. Um, I actually don't mind it because I think it lends the world a more sort of, like, lived-in credibility. Um, I think I actually talked about this when we played, or when we did the episode on uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution way back, episode number two. Definitely recommend it. Good listen. Um... <laughs> But, like, in that game, every time you hack a computer or a lock, it is the exact same interface, regardless of whether you are in Hong Kong or if you or Shanghai or wherever in China it is that you go, or you are in Montreal or you are in Detroit. And it just, it lends, it, it's, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little nitpick. And it's just a thing that only, like, an asshole like me would care about. But it, it does lend a certain incredibility to it because... If you're trying to create the illusion of a complete separate world and everything is hegemonous like that, hegemonic, whatever the word is, um, it breaks it. It, it does because yeah, it, it, yeah I mean you, more assets, people. You've got how many people working for you? How long to to make this game? Um, so yeah, I, I don't mind things like switches being different. I think it it lends the game a certain sort of like lived-in credibility, kind of like Star Wars, where I, all the spaceships are, are dirty, for example. I agree to an extent, but I think in, in Dai Katana, that aesthetic property comes at the expense of just plain coherence. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, we, we were talking about this game in, in, in our bullet points super-secret chat earlier today, and... Um, I think I, I had said that I spent like 10 minutes trying to, yeah. trying to find my way out of a room because I couldn't see the switch, which was right next to the door. Couldn't see the switch because it was too dark. Yeah. Well, I think there's um, there's a good piece about this, I think, that Ed wrote I, about Resident Evil. Resident Evil 2, maybe? Or, or something about kind of the, the balance between um, recreating an actual physical space and and uh, creating a, a place that's enjoyable to explore uh, mm -hmm. in a game, or, or in Daikatana's case, maybe just like possible to explore. Insinuating uh, a real space versus creating a real space. Yeah. So if you have stuff like you know maybe sometimes things like identical uh, switches to open a door uh, are are fine, are a fine mm -hmm. sacrifice that you could have in a game just to you know just just to make it so the player understands sort of the, the basic language of, of the space um, but yeah that, that was a big problem for me and they're like some of them are sort of like camouflaged into, which, they are. which I, I felt intentional in a way you know it's another thing I was thinking of with kind of if you want to make the 
not totally founded comparison with something like a Dark Souls, where it kind of feels like the the game wants you to feel like it's sort of picking on you. That uh, said, um, it's I think it's my turn to put the trilby on and play Devil's Advocate. Um, you have a trilby. I'm being facetious. Um, the, the the game is um, actually really good about using visual vi- visual cues and visual language. Um, every time, most or most of the times, I got stuck. I pretty much just looked around at what was what was different about the environment or what was moving, and it's usually pretty good about broadcasting what you're supposed to do. So if you come to a door that is locked and you can't open it, you look around, you'll see like a sparking conduit that you're supposed to shoot, for example. Um, uh, and is, you do that, and it'll open the door. And I actually really appreciate that. That's because that's very that's very subtle, sort of like you know mid to high level game design stuff that you don't normally think about until you see it, or conversely, don't see it. And nor- normally, in that case, you're playing a bad game. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the better examples I can remember of that is from last year's Doom game, um, where it's just a, it's a small thing, but obviously you're playing in like an industrial complex and platforms that you can climb onto have like mm-hmm. a green light on them mm-hmm. exactly um, yeah where, whereas ones that you can't access the light is is out and you know that's a that's a really sort of smart and, and discreet way of telling you where you can go daikatana has some of that as well you're right um but as we've mentioned already the game is is quite ugly and that the color palette is so uh like muddy i wouldn't say monotonous because there are lots of different colors in there but they're always at the sort of dark end of the spectrum and the mm-hmm. whole thing is is very 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 lowly lit uh, i i did find it funny that like the the opening area is uh they got the two worst video game settings in a row and i thought did. that was kind of funny very like the, starts off, the swamps and the sewers yeah it, it starts and it's a fucking swamp you're like great and then you, yeah. you're like oh finally I'm, I'm done this and then the next level starts loading it's sewer it's like, yeah cool yeah, I, I I did actually exclaim out loud at that. I was like, "Oh, come on, a sewer level!" <laughs> you, you go. There's there are a few of the the sort of yeah the sort of classic level clangers in there. You know, one of them is like a sort of processing plant with lots of moving platforms and machinery that you need to navigate around. And you know, there's like the fans that spin around and can chop you off if you so much as touch them. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember like the, all the worst levels of the original Half Life have a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually brings me on to something that I think is worth talking about, which is, you know, we've mentioned already that this game was sort of in competition with, well, very much actually in competition with Quake and kind of trying to keep up a little bit over its three-year development period because a lot of stuff was coming out between 97 and 2000. You had games like Half-Life, you had Metal Gear Solid, you had Quake um, in 2000, also being developed by Iron Storm's uh, sister company. Where were they based? Where was the other Iron Storms? Anyone know? Austin, I believe. Yeah, right, that's okay. what I yeah, thought had, too. I think you had Austin and Dallas, right? Okay, so Iron Storm, Austin was making Deus Ex, which came out also in 2000. So there's a lot of very stiff competition. And when I played Daikatana, I couldn't help but feeling that the game was always, in small and large ways, trying to keep up with the other things that were coming out at the time. The main character, I think, has dialogue and a, a voice actor who sounds very much like David Hayter as Snake, the, the sort of He does. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The environmental hazards that I mentioned are straight from Half-Life. Uh, there are a lot of little nods to Doom. I remember in the crematorium level of Daikatana, the sort of funeral playing... The funeral music that's playing is um, the knee-deep-in-the-dead theme from E1M1 on Doom. Really? Um, 
yeah 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 and then obviously you know it's on the quake 2 engine you've got sidekicks you know there's these sort of dialogue scenes quite mm-hmm. a lot of story which is obviously deus ex influence so there's a lot of kind of yeah a lot, a lot of cuts like cinematic style cutscenes. a lot of cinematic style cutscenes. the opening salvo of can we dialogue can we take just a quick second and talk about how when you boot the game up you have to sit there for 10 minutes and mm-hmm. watch cutscenes before you can even move yeah. the character that's well that's a, that's a metal gearism as well right there um yeah, I timed so, it. It's like 10, 10 or eleven minutes. It's ten. It is. It is ten or so minutes of uh, fairly, you know, <laughs> low level story. And the, the plot is not complex. Like the plot basically boils down to, or at least at the beginning, I need you to break into this prison and rescue my daughter. Yeah, it it could be told a lot more swiftly. So you oh, can it's, see, it's the corniest shit too. That it, yeah, it opening is. is so bad. And this is this is probably what I'm trying to drive at is that you can see a lot of jogging behind, but the emphasis is on behind. Uh, I think yeah, Tiger Tanner yeah. is is trying to emulate a lot of games and not quite managing it. And obviously, by the time it came out, all of these games had sort of come and gone, and people had higher expectations, and that's another thing that probably contributed to its critical slaughtering. Uh, so, is there anything that you two noticed, or, or you know, what do you feel about that? Do you think that it is derivative of games of that period or do you think it kind of belongs in the same canon do you think it contributes anything new to that small series of games between 97 and 2000 i i feel bad because i i you know didn't play enough of it to comment on the entire thing but um it, it seems like it yeah it's just sort of incorporating from a grab bag without understanding why you would do those things um that opening where it has all this sort of mythology and, and it's trying to trying to explain what this world is in a really ham-fisted way. Um, <clears throat> but as soon as the game starts, it doesn't matter anymore because you're just mm-hmm. moving through this, you know, al- almost uh, sort of Doom-era abstraction of a space that, that doesn't seem to have much to do with the story they're talking about. I mean, there are like those engineers running around and so forth, but like, you know, he's he's telling you about this this princess, and you're in uh, future Japan, and you know, there's all these future things going on, but then you're in a swamp, and there's frogs. I guess the frogs are robots. They will keep everything is a robot in the first level. <clears throat> Even the dragonfly mosquito things. Yeah, they're <clears throat> they're they're robots. Even the crocodile. Mm-hmm. Yep, robots. They actually have names. Uh, uh, they're called like Robo Crocs and like. No, I'm not making this up. It's in, it it's is, in the it's game's called, manual. It's called the Frogonator. It's called the Frogonator. No. Yeah, seriously. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would call it. Yeah, seriously. I don't. Like I enjoy that. how like personally offended you are by that. That's just bad. I really don't like those fucking robot frogs. No, they're, they're gross. Stupid. I. 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 I don't know, man. I th- I thought that they kind of implied something about the time and the world in which the game is set. You know, there's what, no they, wildlife. Why? There's no yeah. wildlife, so they've got robot equivalents. No, you wouldn't. Actually, I, I, I did read a thing where someone compared the, the frogginators to headcrabs from Half-Life. Because oh, they act, come on. They, they act very similarly, and like they elicit a very similar sort of player behavior. I can see uh-huh. that. I can see that as well. Yeah, I, I, again, another outside 
influence. Uh, but see, well, that's the thing is that this game is all outside influences. It does almost nothing of its own. Yeah, I think in that what's that book called? Silent Spring. That uh, that ecological classic where she said that the uh, pesticides would kill everything, and then she said we'd have to build robot frogs. And I think John Romero was a big fan of that. He's on the cusp, yeah. I, uh, the only the only thing that's distinct, I think the the, the sort of paradox of the, oh god, what annoying thing to say. The hypocrisy, the contradiction of this game is that it's it was advertised and flaunted as this, you know, it's John Romero's Die Katana. It's it's fronted by this this man, by this face, by this personality. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually but it's actually a, a kind of composite of a lot of other people's work. Um, well, of course, so too. The, and I, this, oh, sorry. This is this is a thing that kind of my main point that I wanted to bring up in this show, and I'm going to jump on to, to your point Ed, and use it as a segue. Um, and we talked about this again in the uh, the chat earlier. Um, how does a game like Daikatana happen? How do you go from making perhaps the most influential game of the '90s to making Daikatana? Because John Romero wasn't wasn't at id for Doom Two. He wasn't added for Quake, so he literally went from Doom to Daikatana. Was he was which, there for Doom Two? No, he wasn't. Wow. I think he I... he left either very shortly after Doom or actually like no, I think very shortly after Doom. Well, I I think that it it's the product of a lot of uh, I think two things: one ego and two pressure. And I don't want to keep putting this all on one man. You know, this game wasn't made by one person. Uh, that's that's a very 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 fair assessment. Yeah. This was made by a studio of people. I mean, his name was on the box, and he was using the advertising. But this wasn't just his baby. Um, what I think to answer that, or to try and answer the question of how does this game get made, how does a game like this get made? I think it is a combination of expectations and pressure. You know, I think that Daikatana is a kind of crystalline example of trying to keep up, which is something that a lot of video games do. I think you get a lot of games. Like I can, I can remember that um, Medal of Honor reboot that I think came out in 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was trying so, so hard to emulate Call of Duty, right down to killing the protagonist character in the same way that the protagonist is killed in Modern Warfare. It was just trying to keep up with something that had been successful before. And I think the Daikatana, it's, it's um, sort of creative genus if you like is the same it's it's trying to be games that have been successful before it which is probably why it isn't successful because I don't think it is doing anything of its own apart from having this quite obnoxious bullying narrator presence mm -hmm. um, so that's that's probably how I think it gets made is is and the other thing of course is that it had a lot of money thrown behind it because it did have John Romero. It did have like a lot of trust mm -hmm. put in it because you know we're going to start this new company and we've got, as you said, Patrick, one of the creators of the most influential game of the 1990s. I don't think that's in question. I think Doom is that game. Uh, so we're going to throw tens of millions of dollars behind it, and yeah, you know, creative carte blanche, and this is what happens. I think it, it, it spiraled out of control. But that's conjecture because you know I wasn't there. I, I've only mm -hmm. read. You know the David Kushner book and and some other stuff online. I don't know the the complete ins and outs, but that's certainly how the game uh, feels to me. Well, and you have that thing too. I um, the the opening reminded me of this a lot, and then 
you know, knowing that they're the sidekick characters and the different time periods and everything. Um, when when you read, and I hate to keep referencing the Masters of Doom book over and over, um, but you read about their original uh, design ambitions for Doom, where they had this uh, a, a much more sprawling story, and and they had to they had to sort of just imply it stuff that they liked about it and they, they couldn't go into it and it's the same with Quake wasn't it they they mm-hmm. talk in that about how it was some I don't know it was like some Dungeons and Dragons thing or something like that that was mm-hmm. another thing with time travel and stuff I, I think I might be wrong about that uh, but, it, but it was a similar thing where Quake was supposed to be this huge enormous uh, thing full of uh, story ideas that sounded genuinely terrible uh, and and <laughs> And you know, didn't didn't get in there. And it feels like Daikatana is has that same kind of feeling of of sort of like a fourteen year old's dream of of what this game could be if only you could do everything you wanted. Uh, and it loses coherence because of that. Maybe it's um, it's like it's like the first draft of the design document got made. Yeah, or it, yeah. I I don't know. It's hard to talk about some of this because a lot of it is kind of conjecture, right? I, I can't say exactly what they were trying to do, but it does feel I don't know. Just like there weren't people saying no. Maybe. I, I think so too. I think it, it does. It feels it feels unedited. It, mm-hmm. it does it does feel like it was um, never sort of checked and trimmed and, and cut in the way that I think everything that ends up being any good you know I'm reminded you know talking about the grand ambitions for the original Doom I know for a fact having spoken to the makers of the of last year's Doom that their original Doom 4 as it was then called was again like much more sprawling much more story lots more sort of human characters and dialogue and interactions and stuff and they threw it all out because it, it wasn't gonna gonna work didn't fit yeah it didn't fit and Daikatana whether or not this is true of how the game was made, but this is certainly how it feels, this is certainly how it plays, it does feel like uh, all the ideas that they originally had, they've tried to get in there rather than trimming any of them away. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just looking at, you know, these are the ideas we have, but this is this is what's going to feel like and sound like on a moment-to-moment basis uh, mm-hmm. for, the, for the player and, and saying what we originally thought of, does that make sense? with this mm. you know there, there's no reason for that that cutscene you know if you're Metal Gear or, or Deus Ex or uh, these other games that that very much are trying to tell you a, you know a story of, of some depth of some complication then you can get away with with spending that time setting this up because the player needs that to, to understand why they're why they're doing these things um you know, in, in Metal Gear, you, you need that spy opening to understand the stakes of, of being caught by these guards or dying. Uh, this game, there's no reason for you to stand in this fucking future dojo, space dojo, for ten minutes listening to this guy talk, you know, a, about something that has nothing to do with... Mm-hmm. Or it feels like it has nothing to do with anything you're doing for the, the first couple a, hours, at least. A part I laughed out loud at is so, like, after five or six minutes in that opening cutscene, um, where he's talking about, like, the, the, the Daikatana, the magic sword that can bend space and time. Mm-hmm. 
So, by the way, quick aside, the plot of Daikatana is an evil CEO steals a sword that can bend space and time and he uses it to go back in time and change history, which is the plot of Ape Escape for <laughs> the PlayStation. The spiritual um, I, successor to Daikatana. I just like Ape to point Escape. that out. Um, however, after all of that, then he You goes, might say like, it was aping Ape Escape. It's precisely, <laughs> yeah. Then he goes on to say, like, he starts talking about some weird virus that yeah. starts killing a lot of people. I'm just like, what is happening? Like, mm-hmm. and then and then ninjas show up and kill him. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it is a first draft. It feels like a a first draft. I um I do yeah. like uh well and I don't like this. They're supposed to be in Japan, and this there's a character named I think it's a princess. It's named Kage. And the one guy says no, Kage. No, Ka- Ka- Kage is Kage's the CEO. The... Uh, oh, sorry. The princess is Makiko. But but this stuff drives me insane, where one guy says Kage, and then the other guy, the guy with the really bad, fake Japanese accent, keeps calling her Kagi over and over again. Mm. So I you think don't... another one calls him Kage. Oh, cool. I, yeah. <laughs> just, that kind of stuff just blows my mind when you're like, I don't know, you have these voice actors in a room, just get them all to pronounce a name the same way even if you're going to pronounce yeah. it wrong every way just be consistent there are a few line deliveries that feel like first takes that just um just went through that's know, kind of any, of uh, that's like of the time too right perhaps yeah perhaps it is um let's get into the uh the nuts and bolts a little bit because i mean we're talking about big picture stuff here to some extent um and i'm interested in going back to kind of the conversation we're having about the level design and what it feels like to play Daikatana moment to moment, you know, whether the guns are any good and whether the, the shooting is gratifying or, or otherwise. Um, so, Reed, what do you think when you were playing that game, ignoring perhaps the, the, the issues for now about navigation and stuff, just the, 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 the killing and the shooting, what was that like to you? <laughs> the killing and the shooting? Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm, I'm always... I've, feel bad I didn't play this game all the way through so I feel like everything I say has to be taken with a grain of salt but the the guns that I had access to in, in the beginning um, the first couple hours were just bad um, it seems bizarre to uh, whatever comparisons it's not fair to make comparisons all the time but you know John Romero was the man who oversaw to a large degree the creation of the, the guns in Doom and uh, these ones are just a they're not recognizable as as anything like real world guns which you know it's fine it's not my cup of tea and everything but the first one is this weird kind of like it's called like an ion blaster or something mm-hmm. yeah it's your shotgun for this game basically and it's the gun that you're going to lean on all the time yeah and it's uh, I don't know it, I can't even remember the sound which is not a good sign and it's uh there's no real feedback on hitting things other than you can kind of notice the crosshair in the middle of your screen goes a slightly darker red when you yeah, over red, an yeah. enemy um but the enemies just sort of they come at you they don't flinch or anything they just they just suck it down until they're dead and they're i actually dead. did that's that that's actually an enemy bark by the way what really suck it down yeah that i um, i heard it when I was playing the game and <laughs> almost quit playing the game because of it. That's good. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. It, it just feels limp and it surprisingly just weightless, um, which is never good for when you have a game about shooting things. There should be some some reaction. But I, I don't know if you, if you guys got to later guns that were more impactful. I, I found a few. I found the Ion Blaster. They have a weird like C4 launcher that's basically yeah. like a, yeah. this is how you're going to kill yourself gun because yeah, that's all that. I ever did with it. Um, there's a thing that like it fires six bullets all at once. Um, yeah, I didn't like that one at all. The issue I have is so like the rocket launcher, for example, is called like the Sidewinder. There's another gun. I don't even know what it does because I couldn't figure it out. It's just called the Shockwave. Um, so like nothing about the name when you pick them up or the design of these guns really mm-hmm. tells you what they do. So there's a lot of trial and error. So when it, you know you pick up a sidewinder and you walk into a room full of enemies and you start shooting and you instantly blow yourself up because you're shooting rockets at point blank range, like that felt kind of dumb. Yeah, I. Th- that's a problem with a lot of uh, made up weapons, right? I mean, yeah, it's, like it's in in Doom, it was called the rocket launcher. You knew what it did. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's something to be said about you have some bait well i mean video games have trained us to a certain extent of you say what a what a video game shotgun is right it's the right it's the punch gun pretty much which yeah exactly isn't, isn't necessarily realistic but it's you know it's it's part of the language now but i mean you at least know a pistol you can expect it to kind of shoot the way it will versus a something called a chain gun or mm-hmm. a rocket launcher right mm-hmm. um yeah I, I had that problem too i just sort of the communicating what these things are and how they work. Like even, you know, it says you pick up C4 and then you have this gun sticking out. So then it's kind of like, well, see Yeah, what actually, happens. I I found C4 ammo before I found the C4 gun. Yeah. So I kind I thought for a second, oh, I can like set C4 traps to kill people, and then I kept trying to cycle through my inventory to figure out um where that was and I couldn't find it. And then later I found the gun. I was like, oh, that's what they mean. But yeah, like I had a moment where I was confused. Um, I just want to issue a <clears throat> small correction about John Romero. He didn't actually leave after the original Doom. He stayed on. He worked on Doom 2 and on Quake. Oh. Uh, and apparently left the company or was asked to leave the company in 1996. Um, and then Which yeah, is started. two years before Quake was released, or one year before Quake was released? Uh, I think one year. I have the original Quake in my head as 1997. Okay. Um, but again, I'm, I might be wrong on that. Anyway, so that's worth bearing in mind in terms of, um, you know, he, he had done things between Doom and this game. But, you know, Doom 2 and the, the stuff that he contributed to Quake, or, or Quake itself... Um, it, it still kind of begs the question that you posed, I think, Patrick. You know, how do you go from that to this? Um, on the topic of the guns themselves in Daikatana, I, yeah, I, I didn't like any of them. I, I played the game through several of its kind of historical episodes, uh, not necessarily sequentially. I kind of used level skips to go and check some of the later uh, sections, and they. I don't know how to describe how they feel. Reed, I mean, you're our sort of gun feel expert, and I, I, I agree with you that they do feel sort of weightless. I really didn't like the sort of splashback that you get from pretty much, it seems like every single gun has it seems to hurt you as well. Especially the the ion gun. Like oh, I, God, yeah. yeah. 
which in, a, in, in a game that encourages you indirectly to try and just because there's just there's uh, destructible architecture like there are grates you can blow up and like find secrets and stuff so I spent a fairly significant amount of time like shooting walls but your ion blast bounce back at you and hurt you which I thought was kind of bullshit yeah and the angle seems a little bit unpredictable too um, yeah <laughs> it is I'm, I'm sure there is some rhyme or reason to it but yeah, it uh, that thing caught me, bounced back at me a few times that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. That's why I thought you weren't supposed to shoot certain things for a while too, in terms of like those, those switches. Like you, you mentioned before that it is good in the sense that there's sparks flying off the one thing, but I shot it and it bounced off. And, you know, <laughs> it's damaging my dude, and he had you know like 12 health left or something. So I thought, well, I'm not going to do this. This seems like it's something I'm not supposed to do. Well, I mean, the tone of the game is kind of, uh, you know, grab the ball and run and, and be macho and get in there. And, you know, the enemies kind of gib really spectacularly and there's blood and there's whatever. And it's got this kind of vaguely heavy metal kind of overtone. But yeah, the, the guns sort of really discourage you from being anything but slow and cautious. And, and yeah, you're going to hurt yourself if you do anything too, um, like, brazen, which is certainly the opposite of a game like Doom and... Um, again, it feels like a, a sort of Half-Life ism, which is a, a game that really sort of encourages you to, you know, move with caution and examine your environment. Um, which is fine when you're playing as like a, a scientist with a pistol, but when you're meant to be this kind of like dojo from future Japan, and the the game is like actively insulting you for being a chicken, uh, it doesn't kind of follow that the the guns are precarious and that bloody shotgun that fires six shells all at once what is the mm-hmm. use of that that is just such a kind of masturbatory moment like oh yeah it fires six bullets all at once, all at once. whoa but it doesn't it's you know it's of no use to you whatsoever and it feels really kind of unsatisfying that you've not got like control over this thing just blah, 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 blah. right um and it's yeah, almost en- like wasteful it is it's totally wasteful and the enemies are kind of you know Robots and sparky. Well, this this things. this this game does the thing where each enemy, ha- or rather each gun, corresponds to a specific enemy that it's meant to take down. Mm-hmm. And the shot cycler, which is the name of that gun, is you're supposed to use it to fight like the big mech things, which fine, whatever. But Again, this game communicates almost no information about its inner workings. It just sort of leaves it up to the player to go trial and error and sort of figure things out. Um, so it's... I don't know. It, it's it's not bad. It's not game-breaking. But when you walk into a room populated by like a, a single guard with a gun and you fire six shots at him and he just explodes into a, a pool of blood, it's like, oh, well, that that's, that's dumb. Yeah. I, that can work. I mean... Doom does that to an extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you but you figure it out, but everything does something. But but you do figure out pretty quickly kind of what what's uh, best suited to what. Uh, which right. gun works best against which enemy. Um, but I feel like that, that happens gradually in Doom. And you from you kind of learning how how the enemies move and sort of what the what the uh, I don't know, what the type of shooting the, the different weapons are going to do. Uh, you, you get a handle on that stuff more naturally, whereas, yeah, in Daikaton, it feels like 
this this round peg goes in this round hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's kind of uh, oh, it's such a cliche. I don't know. It's kind of in a fight with itself. I think that game because it is trying to be lots of other games, but it's also trying to uh, kind of talk to you directly and have its own sort of voice and personality, albeit an obnoxious one. Mm-hmm. It's trying to make you into this sort of bemuscled, armor-wearing, you know, warrior guitarist. But at the I same mean, time, like the the name of the protagonist is Hiro Miyamoto. I, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, you're this weak fucking bag of meat and guts that can die at the slightest provocation. Which would be fine, you know? That would actually be... Um, could be kind of interesting. I I wanted to... Uh, when I was kind of trying to get a feel for what the game was in the first little bit, I, I didn't mind the fact that he died really easily, and that um, it was those little turret things that pop up from the ground uh, and just wreck you in, in about two seconds um, I was thinking okay this game you know wants to spring traps on you it wants you to enter a room with with some degree of caution uh, because you're a bit vulnerable but uh, everything it's it's true like what I was saying everything else about the game primes you up to be you know, like the doom doom main character doom marine mm-hmm. uh, which <laughs> Is not uh, maybe maybe later in the game it changes a bit, but from what I played, uh, Hiro Miyamoto is is not that kind of character. Well, they're they're very different in the sense that Doom is not a game of, that that's meant to be challenging. It's it's meant to be like rocking and cool and like hey demons and like killing demons. Quake is a capital letters difficult video game. Um, I would I would argue that Daikatana is made more in the tradition of Quake than it is in the tradition of Doom. Um, which, if you're making the transition going from Doom to Daikatana, it's very strained and awkward because you go from like you you go from a game whose environment really encourages experimentation and encourages you to just sort of explore and figure out what things do in a fairly safe way because in Doom you're never really in danger either of running out of ammo or of being overpowered. In Daikatana you're always kind of on the run especially because health packs are scarce and ammo is scarce and the enemies hit hard. Um, It's a very different experience. I was playing Daikatana like I would play Doom and I was dying a lot. Mm -hmm. Um Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's 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 a lot of very small, subtle things, but they make a really big difference when they add up. Yeah, I mean that could be a cool game. <laughs> well, let's, we've we've got like five minutes left. You know, are there any unambiguous positives that you can draw from Daikatana? I I think that the weapons themselves are actually kind of cool. They just don't do a very good job of presenting that. But like once you figure out what they are and what they do, like it's it's neat. Like I don't know, the fact that you have a proximity mine launcher is kind of cool. Um, that's I'm actually no, that's as, that's as much as I've got. That's all I got. <laughs> well, I mean, some of the later weapons, you go through these different time periods, and you know they change things up a little bit. Um, and um, like for instance, when you go to ancient Greece, you've got some sort of more like melee weapons, and mm-hmm. um, you know they, they, there's like an effort I think to keep things 
slightly fresh and slightly different that I think is definitely lacking from Half-Life. We talked about Half-Life 1 before and how it gets quite dull. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that Daikatana has an ambition to to throw you into different areas and different settings and stuff and um, kind of keep your mind active. And I also, just as a sort of general remark, I certainly don't think it's anywhere near as bad as its reputation would suggest. I agree. I agree. I, I I didn't mind playing it. I think I had I had some fun with Daikatana. I was entertained by mm-hmm. it. I would I would play it some more. I don't find it. You know, some of the sort of reviews and stuff that were written at the time, and some of the retrospective criticism has this tone of being personally offended, and affronted by Daikatana, like it's a, a an abomination. You know, it's it's against God. But I, I <laughs> not at all. I I think it was okay. It was. To, to that point, Ed, I would I would rather go back and play Daikatana than go back and play a Battlefield Hardline or a Tomb Raider 2013. Totally. Absolutely. Hand, okay. Hands down. Yeah, without without question. Mm. I mean... Oh, Reed? Mm. No, not so convinced. I don't know. I just... Maybe da- I just... Daikatana is not a well-designed game, but it is not offensive or egregious. No, it's it's okay. No, I, but I I'd I'd, I'd rather design. look into the face of a competent evil than just be sort of butting my head against something indiscernible. That's uh, true as well. I think it is more exciting to play something as as you know loathsome as Hardline than something as kind of. Well, I, I feel like <clears throat> with something like Hardline, it's like watching Fox News or something where it's I want to understand this. I want to know, even though I'm repelled by it, I, I want to understand what it is. You know. Mm-hmm. Which is like why I, I was all fired up that we should do that game at some point because I, I wanted mm-hmm. a reason to play it and to to you know give it give it a shot see what it was and then mm-hmm. when it became apparent what it was to fucking get that thing I don't know I, I think I might suck at Daikatana more than either of you guys though which is part of like I have a hard time saying much good about it other than it shows some there is something interesting to at the beginning the idea of how quickly you die and uh i mean oh sorry i i will i will say that i don't think daikatana is any is much anyway worse than any other shooter from that period i don't think so either i i I don't think so i don't think it's you know kind of original or is like mold setting or something and you know i admire if if you were to set me a table with Daikatana and a bunch of other shooters from the late '90s and early 2000s, yeah, and yeah. Like pick the worst one. I don't know that I would choose that one. Mm. Like no, it doesn't no, stand me, out as being particularly bad. Me it's, either. It's I, not you, good. You know, I played stuff like um, I'm trying to think of it because a lot of that because I was only playing little bits and pieces of these kind of games when they were coming out at the time when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the time since, I feel like I've only played you know some of the ones that stand out. But I certainly remember, like you know, getting a, like a PC gamer demo disc or something, and all of these kind of games where the shooters at the time were all sort of. Uh, I just felt like that's what video games were at that time; were just sort of difficult to understand. Well, like, so like that's the beginning. Of I, th- I think that's the question that Daikatana raises: is is Daikatana a bad game, or is it just an exceptional product of its time? Like, if you were to fix Daikatana, could you do that? 
could you make substantive changes to fix it, or is it really just like, no, this game is way too early 2000s and it's too far gone? Well, I actually think that, and this would probably be my final thought on the game, I think that one thing that fixes it is playing it now rather than then. I think it's a more interesting and um, kind of acceptable, I hate to use that word, game 17 years later than it is in 2000 because the competition around it isn't the same. You know, all that stuff is kind of gone, is, is in history now. And when you play it these days, you're playing it with the understanding that it was, you know, like despised and like this huge public flop and, and was really sort of whipped by the press. And to play it now with that in mind gives it another kind of layer, like a bit more texture, because you're going into it expecting something and, and probably being surprised that it's not that. I think mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a more, like, challenging game it challenges your expectations more now than it would have done in 2000 when it probably looked quite derivative um so one of the things i'd say that changes daikatana and would change your response to it would be to play it now rather than when you first played it yeah i mean i i certainly don't think it's um i don't know it gives me the worst feeling of aside from some of the you know the robot frogs which can go fuck themselves and that opening, seriously that opening cutscene like it doesn't provoke really strong feelings in me that I, I was just as frustrated playing the later parts of Marathon, uh, which yeah, totally. which I enjoyed a okay. lot about that game. Um, I'm sure it's quite a bit better. The guns were a lot better. Always a good listen. Well, and... I had I I had yeah I had the same experience when we were playing Blood. You know, yeah, yeah, like with same the, thing. With navigating levels and stuff. Yeah, yeah and it's just um, this to me just at least it makes a really bad first impression um mm. but yeah it's it's i don't know if you're curious about this thing go and check it out it's not gonna burn your house down as you're playing it or it's... it is it is a fine shooter from the early 2000s i don't know if i, I call think that's... it fine <laughs> i'd say it's it's certainly not uh particularly bad i i don't think it's sort of criminal in the way that it's been described to be and I think that a lot of the negative response to it was of the time because uh, the you know the advertising campaign and the sort of tone of it around the tone around the game was so uh, confident so brash that people were always going to give it a slap around the face if it had been released with a little more humility and without so much fanfare and probably not after so much time and money uh, and expectation I think it would have not I don't think it would ever have been held up in shooter history as like an important moment. I think it would have just faded. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I, I think that's uh, that's probably right. Mm. Um, so maybe that's it. Maybe the best reaction that Daikatana ever could have got would have been, you know, seven out of ten. Then like a year later, no one's talking about it, um, which is arguably a a less interesting and. Mm, yeah, I was going to say like, less wanted response, but probably not. But I don't know. What would we be? I don't know if we'd be talking about it now if it hadn't sort of failed the way that it did. I don't know. No, it'd be like talking about some other stuff that kind of just came and went. I mean, a, a, yeah, sound. exactly. A game that you wouldn't even think to talk about because it just doesn't command attention. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's it. Maybe Daikatana is just kind of plain and is only really notable these days as a game that will slightly change your 
opinion on the opinions about it. One thing I'll say about in terms of legacy um, is I'm having a hard time thinking offhand of a game who's... Because uh, I don't think you have to consider this as part of the game because it's often made outside of it, but the marketing that surrounded it. I don't know if there's a game that is remembered far more for its marketing, its terrible marketing, than it is for the game it actually was. Yeah. I wonder if it might happen to Battlefield 1 because some of their things on Twitter and whatever were, were really stinky and Battlefield 1 is an okay game but I don't think it's like a you know a, a stand the test of time sort of thing I think more people No it's it's that. it's fine it fills its niche yeah. in 2016 when it was re- 2016 right yeah mm-hmm. Yeah yeah last year And it's it's fine Does it maybe have to be the the hubris thing uh, the combination of a, a game coming out that uh is seen as as being really bad, coupled with a really uh, sort of brash marketing. Like, see, I think I think that's a big part of it. Is I yeah, think there just are the... a lot of games now as then that thought very highly of themselves that were released to critical reception that did not match their expectations, and then all of a sudden you have a formula for a critical flop for well, may- all eternity. Maybe Bullet Storm. I remember the adverts for Bulletstorm were kind of openly mocking of shooters like Halo and Call of Duty. Um, and Bulletstorm is is not, you know, a, a terrible game. I, I it did I very well it. critically. Yeah, I suppose it did do okay critically. It didn't it didn't sell, but it did it did review well. Um, yeah, but that yeah, I, I suppose that's more an example of like a a bullshit marketing campaign as opposed to a bullshit marketing campaign slash. Uh, you know, critical flop. But again, um, it's hard. It's hard to find an analog into in today's game industry because it's we don't a, have yeah. a John Romero today, and we also don't have, you know, uh, everyone reading the same collection of, of game magazines right. with the same. EGM ads doesn't being... exist anymore, sadly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think we'll leave it there. I think that's enough. That's an hour that we've done, so that's that's enough on Daikatana. Yeah, the, uh, we're allowed to go home now, right? Yeah, we can we can all get back on our yachts and sail away from the bullet points oil rig exactly. to our exactly. respective mansions. Um, but yeah, I, I I would say if you've got you know a weekend and a, a handful of change, go onto gog.com and get Daikatana. I think it is worth a look. And I think you'll be surprised by how fine it is. It's definitely not the worst game you've ever played, and it's worth it to have the experience so that you can join the conversation intelligently. I totally agree. I totally agree. I don't think you've got any right to sort of say, "Hello, Daikatana was such a bloody shit if you've never played it. Um, so yeah, before you hop on that bandwagon, give it a go. So, in conclusion, suck it down. Correct. <laughs> can we just can we just take Correct. that one and make make it ours? Those bullet points. That's that's now the the byline of the podcast. <laughs> Reed McCarter is about to make you his. <laughs> no, that uh, twitter.com slash bullet points VG bio suck it down. <laughs> <laughs> you better in, you better include that in the show notes. Well, no, because 
you can't be obvious, right? You can't just be like, "Hi, look at I'm making the the joke." You yeah, know? Maybe, maybe. Unless one of you assholes wants to go and make some extensive Photoshop where it says bullet yeah. points monthly is about to make you its bitch. Yeah. That that terminology, man, that doesn't age that well. No, not it's it not is even a it's, little bit. It's it's real ugly. The the marketing campaign and the sort of tone of that game is it is ugly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there that yeah, is, there's that, some. Yeah. I think that's the most dated thing about it. Obviously. Well, I, I'd like to say it's dated. I don't know if you know. I think that's that stuff still exists pretty much everywhere. It's just not on posters so much these days, or it's not as overtly. Yeah, I was gonna say there's still plenty, plenty ugly in uh, in video game marketing and, and everything, but it's it's not as in most cases not as direct. What do you remember that dead island? statuette thing. Yeah, like that that's oh kind of a Oh my god. That's of of that vintage. And that's know? only a couple of years ago. And that was like 20 yeah, 2014. I Well, I think it was 13, I think. Yeah, I still oh, sorry. My bad. not not to split hairs. I still have one of those in my apartment. Um, <laughs> no one no one will visit me anymore. My my partner has left me and my cat has left me too. My cat was offended just... by the statue. Cuddle at at night. Yeah, but jokes on them. I got me a headless video game zombie woman. Yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet. sweet. Suck sweet. it, suck it um, down. <laughs> you're fired. Right. Well, that's Daikatana. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Hey, you know what? <clears throat> you fire me from bullet points. I'm gonna go make a different bullet points, and it's gonna it's gonna be way cooler than your bullet points. It's bullet gonna point here. It's gonna be in Dallas. And yeah, it's gonna make you its bitch. The first episode is bullet points, human revolution. Bullet points katana. Yeah. <laughs> Die bullet points. Yeah, I've heard that. I think, I think that. Okay. Do you okay, want to share that anecdote, Ed? By the way. What about the Welsh thing? Yeah, let's yeah. get a little bit of culture in here. Okay. Well, I I, I mentioned this to Reed and Patrick the other night, um, in Wales which is located to the west of England. (laughs) Uh, uh, A very popular name is David, because obviously you have St. David, who is the patron saint of Wales. And because David is such a popular name, it's often shortened to Dai, D-A-I, and then followed with a nickname which describes that person in some way. So, for example, the milkman uh, who lived near my friend's house, he was called Dai Milk, because his name was David and he was a milkman. Or they had a guy who had like a very, very uh, eccentric haircut. So they used to call him Die Elvis. You know, like the guy who. It, it can go even further. Like the local priest might be Die Church or something like that. Um, so in Wales, Die Katana would be a guy called David who collects curved <laughs> Japanese swords. Um, I, you know what? I think that there's something about that that. If this game was a person, it might be sort of like a weedy Welsh 14-year-old who collects curved mm-hmm. Japanese swords. Mm-hmm. And, like, right. it, it has an insanely high Reddit karma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but not a lot else. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Have you seen him? Have you seen that Dai Katana? What's going on about Japanese swords? He is. Fucking loads of them, he has. They've all got curves in them, that Dai Katana. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, here, here he comes now, look. He's going to be swords with him. All right, boys. 
Got a new sword today. It's a katana. <laughs> got, it the, got it from the fucking eBay. From the fucking internet. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there you go. There's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of colour. Uh, all right. Well, as always, uh, you can find Reed on Twitter at <laughs> well, whoa, at Reed McCarter. Correct, Patrick. I'm on Twitter at Han Freaking Solo, and I'm on Twitter at Most Sincerely Ed. You can also follow this podcast itself and our sister site, Bullet Points Monthly, where we take a single game and. Uh, commit four articles over four weeks every single month bullet points monthly you can follow that at bullet points vg uh, our current game is titanfall 2 over the next couple of months we're going to be doing resident evil 7 and what else did we say mass effect ghost recon oh all kinds of colorful treats um <laughs> And obviously, uh, we are noble, starving artists who need your money. So if you enjoy this show and enjoy Bullet Points Monthly, please consider donating to our Patreon. We do very much appreciate all of the uh, contributions that we've had so far. That's at patreon.com forward slash bullet points. Um, we use the money to pay freelance contributors to Bullet Points Monthly, cover, um, what are they called? Hosting charges, things like that. Uh, so yes, we need we need that precious precious cash to also just our freelancers. That's that's like our the, the crown jewel of our site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we 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 pay people to write for us using that money. So if you like reading good writing by a diverse cast of excellent game critics, then please consider donating to the Bullet Points Patreon. Uh, our next podcast episode is going to be on Titanfall Two, uh, and that'll be out on the first of February. Until then, I've been Ed Smith. Reed, who have you been? I'm, uh, Die Video Games. And Patrick? Uh, I was Die Ed Smith. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> oh, comes that, uh, comes Apparently, 66% oh. of this podcast is hosted by people named David. That's, that's <laughs> completely right. <laughs> and we will see you next time on another episode of Bullet Points. Bullet Points.